Alright, you guys have been around the Christian church, have been around youth ministry, have gone to youth camp. There's a chance, or we'll say confession, that you might hear or be familiar with. It goes something like this. The me, I'll say, God is good. And those who know, the response is? All the time. All the time, right? And I say all the time, God is good. Oh, I say all the time, and you say God is good. So let's try that. God is good. All the time. And all the time? God is good. That's right. Now, this is one of the major overarching themes in Scripture is the goodness of God. The goodness of God to his people. And we see that this is the theme of Exodus 17. That God is good despite Israel's response. And this is what's so important, so comforting about God's goodness. Is that it doesn't depend on you or me and our actions and how we respond to God. He doesn't say, well, if we respond favorably, therefore I'm going to be good to them. And if we follow and we don't respond favorably, he uh, won't give us his goodness. No. God's goodness is dependent on his character and who he is. And that's how he gives it to us. His goodness, his faithfulness is seen through his promises. They rely solely on his goodness. So, God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. We're going to be saying that throughout this sermon. So I want you guys to be uh, uh, listening. We're going to have to make sure you're listening to me this morning. We'll, we'll have this thing. Again, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, regardless, regardless, if you're an Israelite roaming, complaining in the wilderness because you have no water, or regardless if you are groaning and I are groaning because of what just happened in our election, both at the local level and the national level, God is still going to be good to us. He's working everything out for His glory and our good. Therefore, God is good. So first, let's look at the first story. And what we're going to see is the goodness of God shown to us when we experience conflict inside our community. The goodness of God shown to us when we experience conflict inside our community, inside the church. Look at verse 1. All the congregations of the people of Israel moved on the goodness of sin by stages, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now we've been following, uh, ever since uh, Exodus chapter 13, when the Exodus deliverance happened, when Pharaoh finally let his people go, we've been following Israel on this journey, on this road trip to the Promised Land. And they've made certain pit stops along the way. And here's another pit stop. They stopped at Rephidim. Rephidim is right before Mount Sinai. We'll arrive at Mount Sinai next week in Exodus 18. And Rephidim basically means resting place or rest stop. So they, they are at a rest stop. And when they get to this rest stop, there is no water. So their response is, is obviously godly, right? They, they, they get there and they say, man, the Lord has been so good for us. I mean, over the past six months, he has done incredible things. First, he's, he's delivered us from slavery over hundreds of years, right? We're no longer in bondage. Our chains are free. We are now a free people to go and worship our Lord. So he's done that. And on this way, he's provided us and, and protected us uh, throughout this journey. Back in Egypt, when he, before, the, before the deliverance, he provided breakfast through the plagues. He's then guided us through the desert by his own GPS, right? God's personal system, a pillar of power by day, a pillar of fire by night. 
Uh, he's miraculously saved us from Egypt's army at the Red Sea by parting it and giving us deliverance and salvation through the Red Sea. And then he's destroyed our enemies. And then the last week we saw that he's given he turned bitter water into sweet water. And he gave us man and quality. Now all this has happened. So surely, thank you, Lord. You are so awesome. We know that you're going to provide for us this time as well. You're going to give us water, right? That, thank you for that. Is that their response? No, their response is not that. Look at verse 2. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink. And Moses said, well, why are you quarreling with me? Why do you test the Lord? And look at verse 7 of Exodus 17. They tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? I don't know about you, but if I was Moses, I probably would have responded a little bit sarcastically. Is the Lord with us or not? I was, I'm not sure if it was day or night. But when they arrived at that rough at nighttime, it's like, look at the pillar of fire, bro. I think the Lord's with us. See that big column of fire lighting up the whole night sky? I think the Lord's with us. Wouldn't you? That's how I would probably would have responded. That's not how the Lord, the, the Lord responded. The Lord does give this place two names. Usually when a, a significant event happens, and we saw in Genesis and we saw even here, the Lord only gives that, that place one name. But this is so significant in Israel's history. In fact, Israel in the Old Testament and also seeing the New Testament, this is one of the most quoted situations in all the book for the nation of Israel. And, and he gives them two names. The Lord gives this place two names. Massah, which means quarreling, and Meribeth, which means testing. And this is for a name to remember what not to do. This is a place to remember what not to do. And let me just stop and pause and ask you a question. Have you ever been here? Obviously not a record. But on a long road trip, you know, you're driving, you say through the Midwest. They got some great, great rest stops out as you go more east. The rest, the rest stops out there at stand. As you go south to like New Mexico, that's where it is. We go, we're so we're going, we're going, we're going east, right? And we stop at a, at a rest stop. We need to go to the restroom, we need to drink of water, and we pull in. The sign says facilities are out of order. Has anyone ever had that experience happen to them? It's happened to me a couple times. And I don't know about you, but I'm like Israel at that point. I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm grumbling, I'm quarreling. But even this, this is, this is kind of what's happened to Israel, kind of. Again, the big difference is that along their journey, they've always been provided for abundantly. Every rest stop that they have gone to, there hasn't been, the facilities haven't been out of order. They have been provided with blood. They have never lacked any kind of provision. So they have no reason whatsoever to be frustrated or to be crawling. Again, just think about what has taken place over the last six months in their lives. But yet, here they are, horrible, grumbling, contesting the word. The word quarrel is a kind of judicial term. It means to bring a charge against. It means to take someone to court. The word testing has the idea to test someone to see if they're faithful or not. If they're going to show up. And so what we're seeing here is the people of Israel are taking the Lord to court to see if he's going to be faithful again. Just wrap your minds around that again. What they just see and experience over the last six months. They are bringing a charge against the Lord to see if he is going to be faithful or not. I mean, this is crazy. It's mind-boggling. It doesn't make sense. But before we go too far on Israel, can we all in here pause and exercise a, a moment of humility and honesty in our own lives? Can we do that this morning? Can we be honest with one another and, and exercise a moment of humility and honesty?
Because sometimes we are just like the Israelites. When we find ourselves in a desert experience for a while, can't we? Don't we? We, we can sometimes, not all the times, we can sometimes put God to the test. We can sometimes quarrel with the Lord. We can sometimes grumble against Him to see if He's going to be faithful again. Even though we have a track record, even though I have a 49-year track record of God's faithfulness in my life, I can still test the Lord. We can say things like this, this is what sometimes plays out at least in my, in my life. I don't know about you, but see if you can relate. How can you put me in this situation, Lord? This is not fair. I don't deserve this. You're really not keeping up with your promises, Lord. We grumble, we quarrel, we test the Lord. What we see is we see Moses and also Jesus quote this again often in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 6.16, uh, Moses says this, Do not test the Lord your God as you did in Nassau. Jesus also referred to this when he was tempted in the desert. And when Jesus was sent out in the desert for 40 days where he was tempted, he said this in 4.7, You shall not put the Lord to the test. Respond on the same thing. So what we see here is both Moses and Jesus give us this command this morning when we're in a desert experience, when we're in a trial, when we see things that might not be going our way, we do not test the Lord. We do not grumble against Him. I want to put a little asterisk by this because there is, a lot, when we're in a desert experience, it's tough. Be painful, suffering is real, and we're not minimizing suffering, and we're not saying you can't go to the Lord and ask good questions on why am I going through this. In fact, he invites that in. A couple weeks ago, Chad and I did a podcast on Psalm 77, and it's really a great psalm how Asaph kind of walks through a time of trial. It kind of gives us a good one, two, three steps on how to approach the Lord in a difficult time. See, when we want to approach the Lord, we're going through a difficult time. We can be honest with the Lord and say, man, this is difficult. This hurts. This sucks. I don't understand what's going on. That's okay. We, we can express our doubts. We can express our confusion on the situation and ask questions. The, the, the main point is when we come to the Lord is our heart. Where is our heart? Is our heart hostile to God and putting Him to the test? Or do we approach the Lord that time with a humble heart and really like trying to understand what's going on? One said this way, there's a difference between a respectful lament and blasphemous arrogance that accuses God of impotence, incompetence, or worse yet, injustice. One who puts oneself in the seat of justice, of judgment, and finds God guilty of wrongdoing. So it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. When we're in the desert, yes, we come to the Lord and, and ask these questions, but let's look at our heart. What is the posture of our heart taking? Is it in humility? And then we want to see what's going on, or again, is it hostile and putting God on charge? Well, we see that the heart of Israel here is not of humility, but they're hostile. They can't see past their circumstances. They can't see past their thirst that they're having because there's no water. Even though what they've experienced the last six months, it's not what have you done for me lately, it's what are you going to do for me now? They forgot of all God's good 
do this too long, and all the good years throughout. I love what A.W. Fink says. A.W. Fink, not an all-star, and his commentary on Exodus, he says this. This is so good. This is so good. You guys might want to write this down. He says, Israel would rather lean on a cobweb of human resources than upon the arm of the all-powerful, all-wise, and infinitely gracious and good God. You guys, I mean, isn't that good? Let me just read that again. They would, put yourself in there, because this is us as well, we grumble against the Lord, is we would rather lean on a cobweb of human resources to get up those punishments. Rather upon the all-powerful, all-wise, and gracious This is what happens when we keep our eyes focused on our circumstances and not looking up and seeing that we follow the pillar of fire or cloud. We follow the Lord. Therefore, again, Moses and Jesus say, do not be like Israel. This is a warning. This is, this is a God's good gift to us, Exodus 17, in warning us not to test the Lord or to grumble or to quarrel against Him. Look at verse 3. Again, it just sees how they are. Why did you bring us up there out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock and thirst? Again, sarcasm would just float out of me. Like, oh yeah, that's exactly why we came to, to bring you out here, right? Even your livestock. But notice Moses doesn't do that. I mean, literally, Moses is scared for his life. It says at the end of verse 4, it says, they're almost ready to stone you. I mean, this is how ticked off Israel is. This is how fired up they are. They're ready to kill Moses, who just led them out of bondage and slavery by the power of God. And Moses' response is wise and humble. We've seen that Moses had some inadequacies early on in his leadership style, but now we've seen him grow. We've watched Moses grow over his lifetime, and he doesn't respond sarcastically. He doesn't try to fix it himself. What does he do? He prays. He prays. Verse 4. And Moses cries out to the Lord. He does the right and wise thing. He prays. And the Lord immediately answers him. The Lord immediately responds with again goodness and grace. Goodness and grace. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, pass out before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you on that rock of water, that you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come, on, come out of it, and the people will drink. God provides. God loves his people. He loves his children. And he provides. He provides for their thirst. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That's exactly right. Here, this is something that's even more We're reading this in Exodus chapter 17. This is a story that happened thousands of years ago. We're like, oh, how does this relate to our life? Well, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Mark this, or our turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because this is so good. For us to fully grasp the significance of what just happened, what we just read in Exodus 17, we have to turn to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. Because he gives us the commentary on what Exodus 17 is all about for the church. For the church, for you and for me. He gives us insight. He gives us the purpose of Exodus 17. And this is so good. This is so good. Because Paul says that Exodus 17, Exodus 13 through 17, points us to the salvation of Christ. What's happening in Exodus 13 through 17 is a shadow of the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. He said, I want you to be in the dark. I want you to have a clear understanding of what, what, what took place in the Exodus. 
that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, verse 3, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and then drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So, so Paul gives us his commentary on what just happened in Exodus 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Everything that happened happened to Israel, but then we look forward to the Savior, the Messiah. We look back and everything that just happened points us to Christ and his salvation. This is so good again. The staff of God, the staff of God, usually as we see in the story of, of Exodus, has been uh, used as a means of judgment against the other people, right? That this this striking, right? Uh, we know that Moses' staff ate the snakes of Pharaoh's magicians, right? To show that, hey, my God is superior to your God. We know that when uh, Moses touched the Nile River, that water that flowed that was essential to Egypt's survival turned to blood, right? Judgment on them. We, we saw that then again, that uh, the Red Sea. Was, Moses used the staff of God to bring down the Red Sea. So in Scripture, usually, not always, but usually, the staff of God is an instrument of judgment. And what we see here in Exodus 17, and what Paul says, is that the staff of God striking the rock represents God's judgment. Represents God's judgment. We see that the rock represents Christ, and the rock was Christ. The rock represents Christ, and then the water flowing from the rock represents provision and salvation. So I think this is summing up all for us. This is so good. This is so good. Jesus came to earth to save a grumbling and quarreling people. He, he was accused. He was put on trial by those people. And then he was struck by the rod of God on the cross for our sins. And what did he produce? What did that produce? It produced living water. Salvation. John 4 says, The woman at the well said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 7 says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see the connection? Do you see how good this is? The question for us this morning is how are you taking a drink of this living water? Has this living water that flows from Christ satisfied your soul? First for salvation, then for provision as we walk through life. God is good all the time. And all the time. So one, we respond by yes, we want to drink of this water, but again, how do we respond to God's goodness in Christ who was struck for us once and for all? And by the way, later on, there's another scene where, I think it's in Numbers, where God caused Moses to go and he's going to provide water out of the rock again. When he goes and provides water out of the rock again, he just tells Moses to speak to the rock because the rock has already been struck. But what does Moses do? He strikes the rock again. Jesus only needs to be struck one time for forgiveness of sin for all time. He doesn't need to be struck again. That's when we get to numbers. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Just an interesting side note. But again, how do we respond to God's goodness in Christ who struck for us in our sins? Psalm 95, 7 and Hebrews 3, 7. So we see this is how we respond, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. This covers everyone. Psalm 95, 7 and Hebrews 3. This is how we respond. Today, if you hear his voice, do not 
harden your heart as at Meribah, or on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my word. How do we respond this morning? Well, first of all, it says today. Today, right now. T today is a good gift of God. He's given us today. All of us went to bed last night. We were tired. Our bodies were broken down because of sin. And he, kept, he gave us this good gift called sleep. And he's kept us safe from the end. No evil broke into our house. No broke into our house and took advantage of us. He woke us up this morning. He gave us another day. That's a, day. That's a good gift. Today is a good gift. Why is it also a good gift? It's also a good gift because it means if you haven't done it, if your heart is still hardening you and harden your heart against the Lord, even if you're in this wilderness desert, today is a word that there's still time to, to, re to repent. There's still time to turn from the Lord and to worship Him and not to harden your heart against Him, not to grumble. Because listen, when we harden our hearts, when we harden our hearts, we're like Pharaoh. We're like Pharaoh. And you've just been with us. We, we've seen how that ends up. You cannot simultaneously harden your heart and grumble against the Lord and worship Him. That, you, you can't do that. So today, do not harden your heart. Or respond to Christ with gratitude and worship. And dream deeply of the provision and the salvation that we have in Jesus. So that's the, the, the first story. That would be, be enough food for our soul. That's enough food for my soul this week. But it gets even better. It gives us it gives a second story. In the second story, we see God's goodness shown to us when we experience conflict outside of our community. The goodness of God shown to us when we experience conflict outside of our community. Exodus 17, 8 through 16. Verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rebbe. Now, I don't know about you, but I, man, I feel for Moses. When I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh, not a whole cat. Uh, poor Moses, right? I mean, he just dealt with all this grumbling and quarreling and, and almost being stoned to death from his own people from inside. As soon as they kind of calm those waters, immediately after that, there's a threat that comes against him from the outside. He doesn't have any downtime. He doesn't have any downtime. And this, and this conflict now comes from the outside. Uh, the Amalekites. And man, it, it's not just his leadership. And this is where it kind of hit me. It's like, man, I can, I can relate with Moses because we, we in this whole COVID build, we've got some internal conflict in, in, in our church, you know. This has been tough for all of us. And then we've also had external conflicts, conflict coming from outside of, of people trying to tell us how to do church. So there's a constant battle that's going on. So all of us can probably relate with Moses. That we, that we sometimes have conflict from inside and from outside. And so here we're looking again outside. Who are the Amalekites? Well, we know that they're descendants of Esau. I, uh, I believe that uh, uh, Amalek was one of Esau's grandchildren, uh, uh, grandkids. We see that uh, his name is Esau's in Genesis 36. And we know from Genesis that there's going to be an ongoing war between Jacob and Esau. So we constantly, this is the beginning of a conflict in the Middle East. This right here, outside of Jacob and Esau and the conflict we saw in Genesis. This is how God's extending thousands of years later this conflict in the Middle East will continue to go. This tribe and the Amalekites come against the nation of Israel. So Moses, being a wise leader, commissions 
Joshua who drove up some warriors and then beat the Amalekites out on the battlefield. While he, Aaron, and her, uh, not him, but her, go to the top of the mountain with the staff of God. Here's the thing, here's one of the set that this is one of the great portions of scripture, but also one of the set. This is the last time we see the staff of God, I believe, in scripture. So it's kind of like this, it's kind of a sad thing. I don't know about you, but I like, I like seeing the staff of God. The staff of God does some work in the Bible, it's, it's cool to see it. Here's the last time we see it. And we, and we know the story. By the Lord's, in the Lord's providence, that when, when Moses is holding that staff above his head, what is happening? Israel is prevailing, they're winning the war. But when he, when he gets tired of them, he's got to rest for a second. He puts the staff down. What happens? The Amalekites then start to win. And what we see here is this is a great principle that we can glean from this account that helps us today. Now, we, we don't, we're not in a physical battle with other countries or nations and over land in the, in the New Testament, the New Covenant. No, it's a spiritual battle. Our, our battle is spiritual. The enemies that we face are of the world, Satan, and our flesh. And here I want to highlight the world and Satan. Those are our spiritual enemies. That's who we battle with. That's who's coming from outside this community to war with us. When we talk about the world, we're talking about this system that is against God's design and plan. Uh, this collective of entities of people, cultures, institutions, and philosophies that are not aligned with God and His purposes. This is what we, this is how the Bible defines the world. One said this way. There is a confederation. There's a confederation of forces in opposition to God. It is an alternative system that is opposed to the ways of God. But the world entices and tempts the Christians to defect and join its march to destruction. That's what the world is trying to do. That's what the enemy is trying to do. It's trying to tempt us in all the ways that, that we see pleasure. It's trying to uh, appeal to our passions to, and trying to help us effect. You know this battle well. I know this battle well. It's a daily battle for us against the world and Satan. Why? Because we live in the Genesis 3 world. And when we say we live in the Genesis 3 world, what we're saying is that we live every single day in enemy territory. That's the reality of the battle that we in, that we're in. That every single day you and I live in enemy territory. And we are constantly being bombarded by the propaganda that is coming from this world and Satan to pull our heart away from the Lord, to defect from the Lord, and to join them. So this is why we need to fight. This is why we need to fight. We need to fight with each other. We need each other in this battle. This is kind of the big idea I think Part of the big idea that we're going to run from Exodus 17 is that we are not to fight this battle alone. Moses couldn't fight this battle alone. He needed his friends to come alongside him and help him through this battle. This is God's goodness to us in the spiritual battle that we are in, that he gives us one another. That we don't, aren't lone rangers, we're not lone survivors out there fighting on our own, but he gives us one another. Look at verse 12, Exodus 17. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And they sat on him while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until they going down the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Verses 12 and 13, we see two things happening. One, we see a need. 
And who's the one in need? Moses. Now I want you just to think about it. Moses is considered one of the top leaders in the history of the world. And he needs help. He needs help. The second thing we see is there's friends there to provide that help. So the two things we see in this passage is that one, we all need help at some point in our lives. And two, God has put people in our lives to help us. It's a beautiful thing. This is a great gift of God. Moses actually gives us a little bit more information in Deuteronomy 25 when he says this in Deuteronomy 25 and 17 about this war. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. Notice the details in Exodus 17 verse 12. And Moses' hands grew weary. Weariness is part of the human experience. You and I both experience weariness on a daily basis. We get tired. And when we are weary in a spiritual battle that leaves us vulnerable to the enemy, he attacks us. Well, it seems like Moses' buddies, Aaron and Hur, recognized Moses' will. They, they kind of put two and two together. They saw Moses' hands were up and brought his staff. Israel was winning. And when he said that he got tired, his hands went down. Well, uh, Aaron and Hur picked it up. It's like, oh yeah, we're losing. So they put two and two together. So they said, well, we got to act. We got to help Moses. And notice, there was no, it was like, we don't get the conversation to happen. What we see is like Aaron and Hur tell Moses to sit down, and then they hold his hands up. Now, we don't want the conversation. It's like Aaron crying, hey, Moses, we, we see you're getting tired. See what's happening out there. I know you probably see it. We see it. So let's come alongside and help you. And notice Moses' response. He had said, oh, no, man, I'm good. I got it. No, he, he humbled himself, and he received the help. He humbled himself and received the help. And this is what we see. He understood. Look at, look at the I mean, the Lord could have took this battle and it could have been over quickly, but this was all day long war. Moses knew he needed help. He couldn't get through up today without help because this is the war that was going down until the sun. And again, it's just a picture for us as we engage in spiritual warfare. All of us right now, we're in a season of needing help or we're in a season of I can provide that help. All of us right now are in one of those two camps right now. It's a daily battle. And for the rest of our lives, we'll be in one of those two camps. In needing help or providing help. That's the, that's the job of the Christian. And so let me just pause right now. Because we see that this is the Lord's divine design. He has designed this world. He's designed the church. He has designed us to walk through this life to help one another. So that we have victory over the spiritual battle. Yes, ultimately, the Lord is in control. He is fighting for us. He is the one that gives us battle. But He uses means for us to become victorious. And one of those means He uses is one another. Is the church. So let me just ask you right now, what camp are you in? Are you, are you in the, the, the I need help camp right now? Or are you, uh, God, by God's grace, are you in like, I can help someone right now? Today's the day of Today is the day, not the heart in our hearts. Today is the day to be open and honest and you know to be like, yes, I need help. Is there anyone in here like Moses right You've been fighting. You're battling. But you're weary. You're tired. You just don't know if you can, you can make it anymore. You just 
She's not going to hold your own arms up. That, that's where I was this week. And let me just be honest with you. That's not where I was. That's where all your pastors were this week. We were weary. We were tired. And by God's grace, I'm already jumping ahead of my sermon. Many of you came alongside and held our arms. You encouraged us. You said, I'm praying for you. You guys are doing a good job. I'm not agree with everything, but man, you're doing a good job. We're praying for you. That, 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 that fueled us to make decisions in the walking. That, that, was, that, was, that was me this morning. Or this past week. It was weird. It's tired. It's been, it's been a long eight, nine months. I know it's the same with you because we're, we're, we're walking through life with you guys as well. But are you there now? If so, the cross in this church, who has your back? I know it has your back. Because you had our back. You have our We're thankful for every single one of you that has our back. But we still got to acknowledge that we need help. And the church is the place for the mother. Because we care. Because we love them. And this is, this is part of the purpose of the church. This is one of the roles of the church, to, to come alongside and, and help one another get through this Genesis 3 world, this spiritual battle we are in. It happens at a, a corporate level, and it also happens at an individual level. Uh, I was reminded one passage just broke it down to us this week, and this is where my, my soul just started to get fueled. So I also got filled up and encouraged by other pastors as I was studying this in commentaries and sermons. But he said this is about the, the church. That the reason why we come together, the reason why I start out, especially why we need to be together physically, is we need to help strengthen one another so that we can help each other hold our arms up. Because we come in here, maybe today, or at some point, you're going to come in here weary. You're going to come in here tired. You're going to come in here and say, man, I can't, get, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And maybe that's you this morning. And, 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 and Structure our service is to help. It's to help you, it's to help me, it's to help hold our arms up. The reason why I think Rick's been the call to worship there. It's a call to worship. You come in weary and weeping, and the call to worship there is to say, to help strengthen your hands. Say, yes, it's been a hard time out there, but it's tune our, our, our hearts and our minds to the Lord, the one who we have hope. That's what the call to worship does. The call to worship helps us hold up our and we have singing, Paul and, 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 and Jack and the, and the band leads us in singing. And we're singing about the gospel. We're singing about God's goodness and his characteristics. What's that doing? It's helping us hold up our hands. That's what it's doing. It's helping us hold up our hands in the spiritual battle. And then we have the prayers and the preaching of the word. And it's just food for your soul. That's why the main focus is that of our service is around the word of God. Because this is what feeds our soul. This is what is sufficient to get us through the battle. This is why we take communion every single week. Because it's a reminder that we have won the war. All this we do corporately each and every week is to help you and to help me hold up our hands. You guys see that? You get that? That's why this is so important. And then it goes to, to light. It even gets down. Even, this is the general area. Of that ground war stuff. 
where we get to know each other even at a more deeper and intimate and personal level. And there are individuals coming around you, like Aaron and Herger, that are reaching out and saying, hey man, how you doing man? I noticed you're, you're a little, you're a little weird. You're a little weird. They don't ask you that question recently. Hey man, I can help you out, I serve you. Be like Moses and be like, receive it, yeah, I'm her. I'm here. This is the great grace of God across the church. Individuals in life and journey groups. It's friendship. That's our second pillar. Living in gospel community. We want to love God. We want to live in gospel community. That's why this is so central to us. We need each other to help us live our hearts up and win this time. We need friendship that's rooted on the rock of Christ. We need friendship that's empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. We need Friendship that is equipped and informed our counsel by the Word of God that comes alongside one another to get us through the spiritual world. You and I can't do this on our own. I've been in ministry full time for 20 years. And when I see people trying to do this on their own, try to fight the fight, when people want to come alongside and say, No, man, I got this, we're good. You know what I see? Destruction. That's usually what happens. In individual lives, they usually fall away and they get tore up by this world. Marriages, you know what happens? They break up. They get, they get eaten up. Children, you know what happens? They, they, they move away. We need one another in this fight. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one. The church is a good This is what it means to be a part of the Crossing Church, that we take care of one another, to serve one another, we encourage one another, we support one another in this spiritual battle. We strengthen one another when we are weary so that we can get help and get back in and engage the battle to help someone else out. God is good.
looking to Him. His strength has been powerful in our weakness. And when that happens, we know that God's goodness will reign. He will cause all things together for our good. And we will look back and not look at our own efforts and say, man, did we do a great job? We'll look up and say, man, thank you, Lord. You have provided. You have saved us. You have delivered us once again. And you've used your people to do that. Thank you. How's the most respond to Joshua overcoming the Amalekites? Through the Lord's strength, well, verse 14, he starts to write the Bible. Oh, yeah, that's a good gift of God, right? We see in verse 14, he says, and Moses says, write all these things down. So he starts to write the Bible. And then he builds an altar to it. And he calls it one name, Jehovah, the Lord of Israel. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. And what that means, it means this. this. This altar signifies God's goodness in their victory but also their thankfulness of God's goodness and healing to others. So, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter. Man, what a great chapter this is. Verse 17. And it just reminds us of the goodness of God found in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that today, today, if anyone doesn't and hasn't drank, from the, the rock of Christ, that today they would repent of their sins, they would drink deeply of what you have done for them. You made the perfect life in their place, you died on the cross, you struggled with the rock of God for them to pay for their sins, and then you rose again to give us a living hope and a living life. For us that have, have done that, Lord, thank you for your goodness that you didn't let us continue to go down the road of Pharaoh and march our hearts to soften us. You've given us by your spirit. you regenerated our hearts. And now we still drink. We still drink from the rock. It is the rock that still quenches our thirst in the spiritual battle against the world. The world has to offer. What Satan has to offer is sewer water. The world you have to offer will offer this eternal life. And water tastes is so sweet. And we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray.